0: Welcome back to Too Many Comics, uh, Brooks. We are happy to invite back our our first repeat uh, interview of the Interview Spectacular. That being David Pepos,
1: our first encore. Yeah, oh, welcome back, a, sir. I'm 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 incredibly honored. Uh, I I didn't realize I'm your first your first twofer. Uh, but <laughs> thank you. It it,
2: it,
1: it, it it means a ton. You guys are great interviewers, and uh, I'm very happy uh, to to be back to be talking about more about books.
2: So to the listeners, David Petpo is best known for Spencer and Locke, most recently dropped Going to the Chapel. So yeah. what, can you, what can you tell about this this latest book? What's it all about? So Going to the Chapel,
1: the best way to describe it is it's like Die Hard meets Wedding Crasher. It's about a gang of bank robbers that thinks robbing rich people's weddings would be easier than robbing banks and finding out just how wrong. It's like if uh, Quentin Tarantino had a baby with Arrested Development and then mm. chose to bring that baby to a wedding. Uh, <laughs> It, it's it's a fun book. Um, uh, it's kind of my uh, unique uh, twist on a romantic comedy, a, a genre that I felt always got a bad rap, uh, not just in the direct market, but in pop culture as a whole. And uh, so yeah, we're throwing uh, some really cool stylish action in the mix. We're throwing some very dysfunctional family comedy. And we're tying it up with this nice rom-com bow, and so uh, the result is going to the chapel. It's a book that's really unlike anything else you're going to see in the direct market, and uh, so far we've been really uh, thrilled with the reception. No pun intended. How um, <laughs> how long has this been in the works? It's been in the works for a long time. Uh, so uh, I, you know, when I first wrote uh, Spencer Long Locke Volume One, I was not sure if I would be doing another comic after that. Um, I I really did not know how people would react to that book. Uh, I knew that. It would either succeed or fail, but really, really loudly, no matter what. And I figured there was every every possible chance that I would never be allowed to write a comic. Um, So I I wanted to wait and see, you know, make sure I wasn't thrown out of the industry. Thankfully, people really liked the book, and so I started thinking, um, you know, while I was thinking a little bit about volume two because I had that idea in my back pocket, I wanted to think, well, what was the next thing I was going to write, and. Um, for me, um, stories tend to not so much fall on my lap, but they kind of reflect things that are going on with me at at a particular moment in time. And for this, uh, for going to the chapel, I was the best man at my oldest friend's wedding. And, uh, I was the worst best man. uh, I, the bachelor party I planned was truly cursed. And so, um, I had been thinking at the time, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to write. And then suddenly, uh, this cursed bachelor party happens. It ends with me in the hospital with a kidney stone. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
1: I, I thought, to myself, oh, well, that's a story. Like, there's something to that. There's something to that. So this thing's been in the works since uh, for about. Mm, it's been in the works for almost two years. Um, I, it took me uh, several months just to kind of hammer out the storyline uh, because it's kind of like uh, it, you know it's 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 a heist hostage thriller set in a chapel. So we've got 15 people that are, uh, you know, all trapped in one location. So there's a lot of moving parts to, to, to juggle. And then it took a while for us to get the creative team together. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working with a really talented cr- crew, uh, Gavin Guidry, uh, Liz Kramer, Ariana Mayer. And uh, it took a while to get that team together. Um, there were several iterations of the creative team for going to the chapel before uh, we got everybody in place. It then took us a while to shop it. Um, I, I shopped this thing all over the industry. Um, you, you wouldn't believe how many publishers you would think—you know—they're very, they're very progressive and they're very—you uh, know—they're trying to be diverse in terms of their content. And so many of them were saying, "We don't know how to sell a rom com." And uh, that's why I give my publisher Action Lab a lot of credit, is that they—they they don't really get too far into their heads about um about sort of what this what each book looks like in terms of the general brand they just say oh this looks cool like let's let's run with this so we were picked up um we were picked up officially um i think i think it was around comic-con last year and um we've you know we we finished the book um around the holidays And yeah, and then we've just been kind of, you know, we've been uh, sort of biding our time a little bit. Uh, We thought it would be uh, most advantageous to launch the book uh, after Spencer and Walk 2. We thought that would be a nice piggyback, uh, one upon the other. And um, so, yeah, it's a little like time travel in a way. Um, Seeing scripts that I have written so long ago and seeing kind of like, oh, that was the mindset I was in at that time. Um, And sort of seeing, oh, this was like, this was a cool idea. I'm kind of surprised that I came up with it.
0: What was and you mentioned uh, a couple of times trying to find a, a creative team for this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you worked with the the same artist with, with Jorge on Spencer and Locke. Uh, mm-hmm. What was the process of 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 trying to find a different one? Was it you reaching out to some 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 uh, artists that you're aware of, or how how did that process yeah. go down?
1: So people always ask, you know, uh, how do you find an artist? And I always say, you know, your first book is always your hardest because you don't have you don't have anything to show for it, and so. You don't have, you don't have that calling card. Spencer and Locke is a, is an amazing calling card. And so, uh, I was able to, you know, I I reached out to several artists in terms of just saying, Hey, like I've got this book, uh, would you have any interest in, in working on it? And, um, you know, we, we had a couple of artists on board at first and, and scheduling took them, took them off the projects. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it would, it would be sort of early on in the process. And then somebody would say, Oh, I got offered a graphic novel or, oh, I got offered an image book, I gotta take it. And that's totally fair, I don't begrudge anybody for that. Um, Gavin, I found, he had just been, uh, he had just finished his one shot on Comixology called The Night Driver. And I was really, uh, I was really impressed by the way that he was able to shift gears between um, this very stylized like action horror uh, with this very expressive comedy. Uh, I remember distinctly he had a page of this guy who, you could just tell without even any dialogue, the guy was such a D-bag. He was flossing... (laughs) Somebody, hmm. somebody's desk, and somebody was looming behind him, about to choke him out. And that was a, that was a really, I thought that page really kind of uh, sold Gavin uh, to me um, because I knew that going to the chapel, um, similarly to Spencer and Michael before it, uh, we would be shifting between um, Gavin. You know, he was, he's he's terrific. Um, he he draws like a machine. Um, he he was drawing so fast that I actually had to really kind of pace myself to to, to keep ahead of him with the scripts. Um, you know, he so he's he's really terrific. I always say he's kind of in that wheelhouse between uh Jamie McKelvey and Doc Shanner. Um a very clean, simple line that's just that that just he he, he tells a lot with um Ariana, uh she uh she was uh pretty early on in the process. Um my Spencer and Locke uh, letterer uh, Colin Bell, um he and I have known each other for about a decade. And uh due to sort of the, the production uh scheduling uh with Spencer and Locke too. I realized very quickly that um, as much as I wanted him on chapel, I needed him to stick stick around on on, on Spencer and Locke. Uh, we were really racing the deadline hard on that book. And so um, I really liked Ariana's work on Nancy Drew over at Dynamite. Uh, I thought she did some really cool, interesting things with the dialogue, and I felt like you needed that kind of lettering um, for, for, for a book that's got as many one-liners as, as going to the chapel. So, uh, she was terrific. Um, you know, she really, uh, she's also kind of the established veteran of the group, um, you know, because she's worked on way more books than, than either Gavin or myself or our colorist Liz Kramer. Um, you know, so she, uh, she really kind of kept us on the, on the straight and narrow. And then, uh, Liz uh, Kramer was kind of our, 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 our final piece of the puzzle. Uh, she really was our secret weapon. Um, you know, I had spoken with, uh, with, with Jason Smith, um, but it, based on the scheduling, it was very clear we needed him, just like Colin. We needed him on Spencer and Walk 2. There was no real way for him to piggyback on both. And so um, I had originally been working with uh, Mara Jane Carpenter, uh, the, the colorist on Jade Street Protection Services. The problem is, is that by the time between when we finished the pitch and when we finally sold the pitch to Action Lab, she would actually just enrolled in a grad school program, so she couldn't continue on the book. Thankfully, she had introduced me to her friend uh, Liz Kramer uh, uh, at C2E2 that year. And I was so impressed with Liz's webcomic Threader. She's got such a wonderful sense of texture to all of her colors. And uh, and in particular with Threader, she had this real uh, ethereal quality. She would use a lot of pinks and purples and colors that you don't necessarily see in the direct market. And she was able to use those palettes really effectively. Uh, Liz is our secret weapon. I, I, I say that to anybody who will listen. She's going to be the next Laura Martin. Um, she really, you know, Gavin's artwork is already incredible, but she really kind of uh, takes it to the next level. And if she makes going to the chapel look unlike anything else you'll see in the stands. And so um, she's terrific. Um, we she, she helped me uh, man my table for a while at Rose City this past weekend. Uh, we're already working on another book together. So she's, uh, I can't say enough good things about Liz. And, um, it, you know, and the great thing about a book like this is, um, you know, it, I think that the subject matter speaks to so many people. Um, we have a, a real murderer's row of cover talent as a result. Um, you know, Lisa Sterl, um, really loved the concept from the jump. And, uh, so she delivered our, our main cover, uh, for issue one, uh, Sweeney Boo from Marvel Action Captain Marvel was so excited when I told her about the, the, the pitch, um, uh, Emily Pearson from the wilds did an amazing cover for us. And, you know, I, these are all big names and, and, and wonderful up in commerce. I really think the reason why they jumped in a book like this is kind of the reason why I wanted to write a book, which is, you know, going to the chapel. Um, I think there, there is a community of people that are underserved in, in, in the comics industry. Um, I love superheroes. Don't get me wrong. Like I got my start interning at DC comics. I'm a huge fan of capes and tights. Uh, but I, I recognize that there are people who that's not their bag. Uh, they're not into sci-fi. They're not into fantasy. And so I wanted to do kind of this crazy sort of rom-com thriller to sort of bring the best of both worlds where, you know, there are people who are not necessarily into really what the direct market is peddling. But they might want something that's a little more against the grain. But it still has that action and that comedy that can, that, that can bring in people who are, you know, hitting their comic shops every week. So um, my goal is always to uh, build a wider consensus and bring more people to the table, and I think uh, you know the creative team going to the chapel—they're just so top shelf that um, it wouldn't matter what I wrote because their 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 work is so beautiful that uh, I think people are are just curious uh, even when they see the pages.
0: I, I will say before moving on, real quick, it's cool how into it you get. I mean, obviously, yeah. you have a lot of creators on, and everyone praises their creative team. But um, you know, the detail that you go into it and have loving their work beforehand. Uh, you got a job in PR for these people if you ever don't I, stop writing. <laughs> <laughs> See, so. I, I go
2: ahead. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I hate my work. So good for you. <laughs> you, you like to <laughs> I,
1: uh, I, you know, it's well. It's funny, uh, you know, because I actually, before I was writing comics, I, I did work in publicity and PR, and it took a while for me to escape it. So thank you for saying that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, it's, it's. Uh, I, I, I feel like I managed to take some skills out of it. But even if I, even if I hadn't worked in these things, um, I think that's my favorite part of being a comics creator. And people ask me, you know. You ever thought about novels, or have you ever thought about screenwriting or 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 the like? And um, you know, I've 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 dabbled in in, in some screenwriting, but um, uh, as far as novels go, um, I don't. Writing comics is the best reward system because you get artwork. And uh, for me, I'm 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 I I have no discipline. Uh, Dessert first, all the way. So by getting, you know, every time I get art, it just reinforces me to write more. And so I see, you know, novelists out there and I'm like, wait, how do you write that many pages without getting art? Like, uh, it's just a totally alien concept to me. Um, And so it's easy to be enthusiastic when you, you know, that's it's it's, you know, I why I like the things I write. I think um, I think my best skill is just uh, finding talent and and especially people like uh, George Santiago, Jr., people like Gavin Guidry. You know these are their direct market debuts, and it's such an honor and it's such a pleasure to to be working on those direct market debuts with these guys because I know these are the superstars of. Tomorrow. Um, I look at somebody like Rick Remender, who you know he just has you know he has these really tight bonds with these incredible artists, and um, that's what I want. Uh, you know I I I, uh, I feel like not only. Uh, it, it's if anything, it's out of self-preservation because if I can keep uh, 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 aligning myself with these amazing artists, um, you know, uh,
2: th- that's going to sell the work for me. Right. No, I'd never heard of Mitter, actually. I'm just kidding. Big fan. Big fan. Um, so this book is very different from Spencer and Luck in that it's more rooted in reality, right? So what can we expect? You, you mentioned some comedy elements. You mentioned some action elements. Like, What are we going to get over the next Several books.
1: So, uh, so going to the chapel just like Spencer and Locke. It's going to be a four issue mini. Uh, my goal is always: I never want to keep readers on the hook any longer than they have to be, uh, both for my sanity and my pocketbook as well as their wallets. Um, so, there, you know, it's it's this is a fun book. Um, it's 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 very yeah. It's not as uh, bleak as Spencer and Locke, but I always say that means it's ten times funnier. Um, you know, going to the chapel is the story of Emily Anderson, who is a wealthy bride with a case of serious cold feet. But before she can say anything, her wedding is taken over by a group of bank robbers known as the Bad Elvis Gang. Unfortunately, Emily's dysfunctional family turns what should have been a simple smash and grab into a full-blown hostage situation. And um, so Emily is going to have to wind up playing, you know, both the bank robbers and the police outside, as well as her own super weird family. Uh to try to escape walking down the aisle. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun book. It's kind of it's 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 a love story at the end of the day. But it's also a story about uh, fear of commitment and, uh, you know, dysfunctional families. And what does it take to make that leap of faith to say till death do us part? So, uh, you know, so much of this story, you know, we are weaponizing a lot of the imagery and tropes behind weddings, uh, we're also sort of uh, playing with those love triangle tropes. Um, people ask me sort of what are the big influences behind this book and why I often talk about things like Dog Day Afternoon or uh, Death at a Funeral. Uh, you know, Bridget Jones's Diary and Runaway Bride are just as big of his book. Um, and, you know, it's sort of it's it's taking one bride's fears about getting married. And externalizing them and throwing, uh, you know, a bunch of sort of uh, exciting action into the mix, uh, but also some very unexpected alliances. Um, You know, I'm not going to spoil anything about the book, but um, Emily's dynamic with these uh, bank robbers, the Bad Elvis Gang, uh, that's going to drive a lot of our book. Um, I always think it's very funny, uh, you know, dating back to Dog Day Afternoon, seeing the line between the hostages and the hostage takers start to blur especially when these criminals realize that they're in way over their heads with this super weird family. Mm. Um, There's also, I think, an element of comedy to Emily's family. Um, I always describe them as if the Bluths from Arrested Development were caught in a bank robbery. Mm. Uh, There's something to be said for, you know, and I think a lot of people can empathize with this. When you are stuck in an unfamiliar location with your extended family, for long periods of time the the masks of normalcy start to slip and people start getting really real and really weird, really fast. And, uh, that's something that I think is just so funny to me. Um, it's sort of the comedy of hostage situations in, in, in a way. Um, because isn't that what dysfunctional family is at the end of the day? Uh, you know, isn't, aren't we all being held hostage to some degree? Um, So, yeah, you know, we get to really kind of play between these two extremes of, you know, this just very funny interpersonal comedy with uh, this very kind of larger than life, fun action sequences that are, you know, even, you know, uh, more challengingly, they're all taking place in this one location, uh, this chapel that everybody's kind of stuck in. The police are right outside the building. And what's it going to take? Uh, what's it going to take to keep the police out? What is it going to take to get the bad Elvis gang out? What's it going to take to get Emily out of this commitment? These are all the questions we're going to be exploring. Um, and I think it's it's a fun book, in part because uh, I don't think there are really any villains in this book. Um, even Walt, uh, the 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 sheriff of Rockford County, um, you know, on paper he's not a bad guy. I mean, he's very intense and he's very driven, but you know, if you thought that there were bank robbers holding hostages in the church, you'd probably go real hard at them. Um, you know, uh, Emily's fiance, Jesse, I really wanted to make it a point that we didn't make him a bad guy, that he's just, you know, he's an awkward guy. He's kind of clueless, um, but he ultimately means well and, you know, wants to do what's right for, for his, his fiance. Uh, even Tom, our head bank robber, um, you know, he's a little bit of a, a, a charming scoundrel, but, you know, he's got some rough edges to him as well. And, um, you know, sort of, it's a way to kind of keep readers on their toes a bit. And, uh, I think, uh, I'm hoping that every, every character in this book has a fan, uh, by the time that this book comes out, whether it's Emily or people are saying they're team Jesse or they're team Tom, I'm hoping that some people are going to say they're team grandma Harriet. Um, and, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been fun playing with all these characters. And, uh, I think, I think readers are going to find a lot to like.
2: So I'm curious. So I'm curious. So when you come up with a story like this and it's a four book run, right? Yeah. Do you write it thinking I have four books in me or do you write it thinking I have 30 books, but I'll take four. I'm just curious how that works sure. as a creator. No,
1: it's a great question. Um, for me, I tend to say, okay, um, how, how many issues would this story take? And and the more down to earth, story, the story, the, 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 less issues I have to tell it in, because you don't have to explain the world around you. That's part of the reason why I like crime books so much is, um, you know, for Spencer and Locke, you know, it's the real world for going to the chapel. You know, it's the real world. You know how, you know how society works, you know, how cars work, you know, how people dress. You don't have to explain any of that. Um, whereas like uh, the, the, the next book I'm working on grand theft Astro, you know, you have to spend some time just building up the the, the the world and so that adds on more page counts and and more issues um for me i tend to write um almost a, a little backwards from the way you, that, that that you just described it where i say okay i know i can tell this standalone story in four issues or five issues uh maybe six issues at most and i think to myself well if people really like this book then what's the next story we would tell in this world and so I tend to think it's almost modularly. Um, and I think that comes from my background. I was a newspaper reporter once upon a time. So were we? And, yeah, both of us. Uh, so, so you guys know what, what it means when you've got, you know, when you when you're only you only get like seven inches in the actual paper, but then you have to add in another five inches to the website. So you figure out, okay, what is the story that I have to have to tell for the for to make this concept worth it? And then you think to yourself, Okay, well, people really like this. Where could we go from here? Where could we kind of keep twisting you know, the, uh, the the metaphor, the high concept. And that was kind of, that was the case for Spencer and Locke is, you know, I said, okay, well, if people like the Calvin and Hobbes uh, 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 parody, then, you know, people are really going to lose it when I say, oh, well, this is just one strip from the entire Funny Pages. We've got an entire universe, shared universe that we can play with. Um, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I always, I, I that's a sequels are hard. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that in a way you are reinventing the wheel. And so, um, you know, it's not something that I ever take lightly. I think it's something that I always really want to think it through and make sure like, is this worth doing one or two more arcs on? And you got to do a lot of long-term planning for it. But that said, you know, I mean, I always try to keep something in my back pocket just in case um, because you'd be surprised how often people ask. And, uh, so, you know, we're going to the chapel. I mean, you know, if the father of the bride could pull off a part two, who says we couldn't.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, in your head, do you have, now we we, we've obviously got a second Spencer unlock, um, Mm -hmm. hopefully a third at at what point do you, do you, I mean, you said you like how it's gotten off to a start yeah. with going to the chapel. Yeah. When yeah. when would you certainly find out if if you could ever tell some more stories in this world? Is it something that you might expect? Would you receive word anytime soon, or, or how does that work?
1: Well, I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of it will depend on you know what the sales look like, um, you know, and that that it's one of those things we really have to wait until uh, the whole thing comes out. Um, I I think um, you know we probably even and even then it's sort of saying you know for a book like this how does the trade look. Um, because I think this is a book, like I said, it's kind of going against the grain of the direct market. And while I know that our, uh, you know, I've been told our first issue sales have been really strong, and um, I think our reorders, I would imagine, are fairly strong. Um, you know, this is a book that I would, I would not be surprised if it, if it, you know, similar to things like uh, Unstoppable Wasp, um, or Iceman, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a book that does even better as a trade. So, um, and then part of it is also, you know, it's, it's figuring out, you know, what else is on my plate. It's figuring out, you know, certain stories are easier to write than others. Um, you know, going to the chapel, uh, you know, uh, like I was saying earlier, that was a really challenging story because, um, you had so many different characters and being able to sort of, uh, you know, kind of choreograph where everybody's going to be in a specific time. Um, it made writing this script, or at least the outline for the script, it made it really challenging um, uh, compared to even Spencer and Locke. Um, but that said, you know, I always, I always try to ask myself, you know, um, what would the sequel look like? And, and, and often I think, okay, if there's a, a high concept or a metaphor that I'm playing with, what's the next logical step? And the thing I like most about going to the chapel is it really is a metaphor for, for change and how people – often get intimidated and scared in the face of of change even when it's good for them um you know it's 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 intimidating you know whether you're starting a you know a new relationship or you're starting a new job or you're you know you're you're moving to a new place um i know for me you know the the thing that was most intimidating was uh writing a comic in the first place um for me my my Uh, commitment scare was about my my professional career I had worked as a newspaper reporter I had worked in in PR and publicity for television Um, I had worked at a management company in Hollywood and I tried what I considered all the safe jobs and I don't think I really fit in at any of them and it was not until I said what's the astronaut job here what's like the craziest job that I could ever hope to get maybe writing a comic it was only when I tried that that suddenly things started clicking into place. So um, I feel like, you know, that's the best part about a book like this is every there's so many cool milestone moments to people's lives that you can you can explore and you can externalize and you can sort of make this facing of your fear something dramatic and dangerous and stylish and exciting. So, uh, you know, I, I, I love Emily. I love the bad Elvis gang. Uh, I even love Jesse. Um, I certainly love Grandma Harriet. She was based on my grandma Helen, um, mm. so I definitely love Grandma Harriet a lot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's one of those. It's never say never. The other thing is always figuring out. You know, um, you know, because it's so easy to speak for myself, but it, you know, speaking for the the creative team. Um, and so, I I mean, so far I've been very fortunate in that. Uh, you know, working on Spencer and Locke. Uh, you know, George Santiago Jr. and I, we're 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 in this till the end together um you know i, I mean it, it, barring one of us getting hit by a boss um like we are gonna do this book together i would not want to do another series without him um you know but it, that said it's because you know he was also so enthusiastic about the 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 way the book was re- received and so when i started talking about a sequel i was like hey buddy uh you know are you in like are you available would you want to do a sequel and he was like yeah, 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 yeah absolutely you know the thing is i i mean and i'm I'll be fully honest here. I haven't broached that question with 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 my creative team uh, yet on Chapel. Um, it's it's one of those things that you know just because we're we're, we're so new, we've just come out, and um, and it's so funny because looking back on the on the books, and it's I take this as such a compliment, by the way, that um, a week ago we didn't even know how if people would like this book, uh, and the fact that people really have liked the book, um, you know, I can't. I'm not going to say I'm super. Surprised just based on the way that the art looks. Like I know that's a beautiful looking book because of my team, but you know you're always rolling the dice a little bit, and you never know how the market is going to react to something. And if people had said a week ago, "Oh man, this thing sucks. I never want to read anything by David Pepos again," um, then that probably would have killed any idea for a sequel. Dead. <laughs> uh, it's, it's always the question of what's the demand look like, and is this is this a one off thing? Is this something that we could tell multiple stories with? And it's also kind of what's the, you know, uh, how much, uh, you know, runway can a concept give to you? Um, Spencer and Locke, for example, I was just telling someone earlier today, um, there's a wide number of comic strips that we could tell stories with. So that is just a question of, you know, making sure we don't overstay our welcome. Um, Going to the chapel, uh, it might be a little more limited. um, But, you know, never say never I try not to walk into any concept without thinking of what a second and third volume might look like so it's 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 a never say never um that said my dance card is is filling up at, at what might be considered an alarming pace so I uh, you know if if such a thing would happen it might take a while especially because this is a, a particularly labor-intensive story um but uh you know it, who
2: says this is the last we'll see of the bad Elvis game
0: not us
1: <laughs> <laughs> what,
2: what, what do we know I, I do have a question so you have uh, we know you for your creator own stuff right if you could write for any book established already mm-hmm. if you even want to yeah. what would what would it be? well so my first my first
1: answer it, technically the book does not exist but I really want to write it I, I would love to do a captain planet book um I feel like that is a character that like is primed for a 21st century revamp. And I don't know who owns the rights. I don't know. It, it, Ted Turner, from what I understand, helped develop Captain Planet um, as a cartoon, Ted Turner himself. So from what I understand, he, he's very uh, guarded on the rights for that book. So I don't know if that's something that is is actually controlled in the greater Warner Brothers constellation, in which case I guess DC would be in charge of it. But um, – I don't know. I, I, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if that would be a book that like like an IDW or somebody would pick up. Um, I would love to do that, that, that book. It's, it's definitely due for, for, for a revamp. But barring that in terms of actually established characters, um, either Shazam or Doctor Strange, I would really love to tackle those characters. Uh, there's something – when I was a kid, I used to think magic didn't make sense. Um, I didn't understand how it worked from a storytelling perspective. And I think Spencer and Locke kind of helped me figure out what works about it. Uh, magic is metaphor. Um, it's, your, your, it's your mental state. It's your philosophy. It's being able to externalize uh, your inner conflicts. Um, and so that's where the cool, like, you know, you think, oh, these rules don't actually make sense. Well, no, if you sort of root them in character, they actually make a ton of sense. Um, you know, I think Billy Batson, for example... Um, the fact that Billy Batson is not a top 10 selling uh, uh, superhero comic uh, breaks my heart uh, because he should be the uh, Aang from Avatar The Last Airbender. He should be the, the last airbender of DC comic. Um, he's, he's a character who is, is well-meaning, but ultimately innocent, but gifted with incredible power. And his arc is how does this kid, with given these godlike abilities, how does he kind of grow into them? How does he learn all of these lessons that everybody liked. What's Billy Batson's first kiss look? What does it look like when he tries to learn how to drive a car? Um, what does it look like when he realizes that he can't save everybody and that death sometimes can't be reverted? Um These are stories I could, I could tell, I could write 10 years. I, I love the character so much. And I think um, Doctor Strange is almost the inversion of that. Um, he's the guy who he has seen a lot. He, he is a little bit more world-wary. And so he's bringing kind of almost a degree of cynicism to this world of of magic and monsters and sorcery. And um, the the idea that I have in my back pocket is um, I won't, well, let's just say the Sorcerer's Apprentice really does give a lot to a character like Stephen Strange. And so um, I, I think there are some very cool characters in the Marvel Universe who I think could do really well under Stephen Strange's tutelage, and um, yeah, I, I think I think those are some some really fun characters. I mean, besides the obvious cheats of like the Justice League or the Avengers, because of course, if I could just have a buffet of all the best characters, I would I would take that in a
2: heartbeat. But yeah, I think uh, Shazam or Strange, all the way. Going back to Captain Planet, I always thought that heart was the worst power. Just want to put that out there.
1: Well, uh, so, 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 <laughs> not true, you're not wrong, but, um, I would say, uh, if I was writing Captain Planet, let me tell you, uh, Mati would be the most dangerous member. Mm. Um, he, you, he, he would be, he would be, he would be the last planet here
2: you want to mess with. We still have the monkey. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. You're just making sure.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you know, I, I, I think the thing is like, you know, the power of heart in, in a lot of ways, I mean, that's, that's, that's telepathy that's uh that's animal communication um, and and let's just say i have got some pretty detailed backstories in all five of, of the planeteers but um, Matisse is probably the biggest departure from the from the cartoon but I think it's the one that uh, ultimately earns his place uh, uh, having the power of heart he's he's he he could be a very very interesting character if, if, if people allowed it to be.
2: So, I mean, I again, mean, this is this is this is me as a child thinking that heart was bad. Don't get me wrong. No, no, was, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I was a well, child. Here's the thing. I, I I always wind up gravitating the
1: most towards characters that get the least amount of love. Um, I love Batman. I love Spider-Man. I'm sure I could write like a short story featuring either of them. But like, I give I give people like uh, like Dan Slott or Scott Snyder or Tom King. I give them a lot of credit because how do you you know redefine an icon? Especially doing it over a span of years, um, that is—that's sort of a big platform. That at least at this juncture in time, I know I, I'm not ready for as a writer. It's this—it's the characters that don't get a lot of love or haven't had like really iconic, amazing runs. That I'm like, well, why is that? Like, what is it about these characters? Clearly, there's something to them if they've been around for decades. What is it about these characters that are interesting and cool? And what can we, what can we change a little you know, to, to, to sort of dust them off for the 21st century? But nine times out of ten, it's just what's the central metaphor behind these characters? I think Jeff Johns uh, you know, historically has done a really good job at exploring things like that. Um, he's got an issue of Justice Society that I always talk about. It's one of my top five single issues of all time. It was, uh, it was, uh, Liberty Bell and Damage, And, uh, for those who hadn't been reading, uh, uh you know, infinite crisis, uh, zoom like uh, disfigures damage. He like, he punches him like a thousand times in the face. And so his face is all scarred up. And so they have a rematch in Atlanta and damage like has like, uh, zoom in a headlock. And he's basically, he's, 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 he's in danger of melting down and just like blowing up half of Atlanta and Liberty Bell shows up and uh, for those who don't know you know she's got the the, the, the Liberty Bell logo on her chest you know with a, with a crack and she talks about well what made her decide to go from becoming Jesse quick to Liberty Bell and she said well this bell became my mantra just because something has a crack and it doesn't mean you have to throw it away and I think that I thought it was such a perfect storm and I think it really zoomed in on the metaphor behind what was otherwise a fairly forgettable character and so I think um there that's sort of my approach, um, especially for, for licensed books, is what's the metaphor behind these characters? And, you know, is there a different angle that we can take? And that's why I always feel like the ones who don't get enough love. Deathlock, for example. Um, I've I bugged Marvel several times to be like, Yo, let a brother <laughs> write a Deathlock book. Um, you know, it's it's those kinds of weird curveball stories. I mean, nobody liked Moon Knight five years ago. Um, you know, and then Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby like blew the roof off and now they're doing a TV show based on him. Um, it, so I always I always find that like, I would much rather play with the discarded toys
2: than the really fancy one.
0: Well, there've been, I mean, some guys that you've even mentioned have made, you know, quite the run of taking characters recently, such as like Tom King, even though he's doing Batman, he picks up something like Mr. Miracle and turns him into a household name and
1: actually exactly. Um, and, and those are always the most interesting stories to me. Um, it's, it's, I've, I've read a ton of X-Men stories and don't get me wrong. I'm loving house of X and power of X. I, they, I think that's fantastic. I think those kinds of reinventions though are so few and far between. Um, because like I said, you know, there's so many amazing X-Men stories out there. You know, you've got Grant Morrison stories and you've got, uh, Joss Whedon stories. And you know, I mean, I grew up in the nineties, so I'm a, I'm a fatal attractions kid all the way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, uh, but yeah, it's like it's like how many like groundbreaking Deathlock stories have there been, you know? Um, even like even a character like Nick Fury, who I know I have been told that everybody who goes to Marvel has a Doctor Strange pitch and a and a Nick Fury pitch, um, you know? Since Starencio, how many like amazing Nick Fury stories have there been that like you can recall? So it's those kinds of characters that those are the ones that always appeal to me the most, um, just because I'm like oh well like. Like let's, let's find something to love about these characters and let's make, let's make Mr. Miracle a household name.
0: I'm for it. I love, I love the, uh, the, the low rate characters and as much as, as much pub as we can get you to, uh, make someone at Marvel or DC make something happen. Uh, yeah. we will do our part. Oh, okay. Thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> It's okay. probably very little in the grand scheme of things, but we'll, we'll give it a shot.
1: All your Congress people, you know, <laughs> you know a, a in the demon story or something like that. I'd, just put me on a holiday special. I'd be, I, I'd die happy.
0: <laughs> well, um, before we finish up, uh, last time we, we talked, we, um, yeah, we, we love getting your point of view on, on some of the things that you were actually reading at the time. Um, yeah. and you obviously just mentioned house of X, uh, exactly. the, the, the current X-Men stuff going on. So, you know, in, in these last few months, you know, uh, what have you picked up on as a creator? And, and what are some of the some of the good things you're reading that, that maybe we haven't gotten to ourselves?
1: Yeah, well, so, so of, of course, House of X and Powers of X is fantastic. Um, that's sort of the series that that's on the top of my poll list, uh, uh, you know, every every week. Um, I know it's it's challenging for retailers just because of trying to keep up with the demand of a weekly series like this. But I think this is one as a reader, it is one of the uh, it's a really well crafted experience, and the fact that it is coming out weekly is, is nothing short of miraculous. Um, it's a nice, fun redefinition of the X Men. It gets to play with the tropes of time and space that the the franchise has historically enjoyed, but it also gets to sort of put it through that lens of evolution and and takes a, a few extra steps that the series has never taken, but wraps together all these different various plot threads nicely. It's sort of, if mutant is the evolution of man, then what's the evolution, the next evolution, maybe it's artificial intelligence. Maybe it's the sentinels. Maybe it's Nimrod. Maybe it's the phalanx. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. Um, uh, absolute carnage, uh, uh, from, uh, Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. Um, I'm really taking a lot of notes from them. Um, especially the way that they've been, uh, juggling, uh, action and horror lately. um, well, we, we,
0: we can say that uh, Donny Cates' career took off once he was on the show.
2: I, yeah. think so. Mm-hmm. Well, I say so. Yeah, direct correlation.
1: The Too Many Comics bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, so you know I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Um, I really like Donny's and Donnie and Ryan's uh, Ron on Venom in general. Uh, it's perhaps no surprise, I think, because I think we we share a lot of similar themes over in Spencer and Locke. So I think we're we're kind of we're playing in a similar sandbox, and so I'm, I'm I'm always vibing with the stuff that they're they're putting out. Um, uh, uh, Batman: Last Night on Earth. Um, that's the kind of story that I think only Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo could pull off because it's such a wild, crazy story, and it's like it, in a lot of ways, I think for any other writer, you might call it self indulgent, but I think. When you've got the the track record that Scott and Greg have, and you've got such a long history of really iconic, incredible stories, you're kind of like, well, where else do they go besides like just taking weird like twists on all the various corners? Of- um, I've been on a Kieran Gillen kick lately. Um, you know, finishing up Wicked and the Divine. Um, that was a fun ending, or I should say, a a, a potent ending. Maybe perhaps not the fun might not be <laughs> the word. Um, his work on Die, though, is a way um, I uh, was just talking to somebody about this at, at Rose City that I love um, that, that sort of the, 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 the mashup of not just the genres, but of the mediums. Um, you're taking uh, tabletop RPG rules and you're applying them to a comic book, uh, a, a, you know, for comic book storytelling. And so the fact that like Karen, you know, I, I, I read in his newsletter that he's actually working on bringing a Die tabletop game out on top of the uh, of the comic it was one of those things that is like i'm so jealous um i never i never got into Dungeons and dragons as a kid because that would require having friends um <laughs> I, I uh so so it, it, that was that's sort of i always try to think of like what are the extra things that are sort of outside of comics whether that's ar or there's sort of online experiences and the tabletop thing just, oh it, it really it was. And then finally, I, I, I want to give a shout out to, to, to Chris Sabella. Um, I, 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 really, I really respect the guy. Um, he was kind enough to give us a pull quote on going to the chapel, but, um, he's such a smart writer and like infuriatingly. So, um, so, you know, I, I, uh, I've been reading his, uh, that we have the second volume of Cra- our second arc of crowded coming out. Um, such a good book. Um, I really earned that Eisner nomination. Um, I love just how, and in a lot of ways, I always mention crowded when I talk about chapel, uh, because I think it's even faster paced than we are. Um, uh, and the action is just so crazy and over the top. Um, but I, I, think a book that really deserves a shout out from him is test over at vault. Um, it's sort of, it's sort of like spider Jerusalem in transmet, but turned inside out. That's kind of the best way I'd describe it. Um, you know, about somebody who, uh, has, has basically, you know, they're doing the, the cyberpunk, almost transhuman um, uh, ethos where they keep upgrading themselves and they keep sort of building new technology into themselves. And now they're, they're finding a new city uh, where they test drive the future, where they try all these innovations and new products. And it's how, um, how, how, how this, this person on the run uh, is on the run from uh, corporations looking to basically repossess all this tech in their body. So, um, those are some really fun series that I've been, I've been picking up lately. Um, uh, you know, I just, I just actually picked up the trade from, uh, White Ash, um, from, uh, my, 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 my friend. Oh, come on. Um, sorry about that. Um, just want to make sure I have the title right. Um, yeah. So, uh, White Ash, uh, from, from my buddy, Charlie Stickney, Stickney. Um, I just, he, was kind enough to, to, to give me the uh, hardcover last week. I've been reading through it. It is a beautiful, uh, uh, beautifully written, beautifully illustrated book. Um, he he sells that online, and it shows. Um, he's been making his career on um, on, on Kickstarter, um, and yeah, he's just uh, they're, they're a terrific uh, 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 tag team of indie guys, and so I, I always I always recommend uh, reading their stuff.
0: Cool. Well, I appreciate because that was about uh, three titles at least that. I have not read, so uh, I will hop yeah, on yeah. this
1: and go to the chapel. I've been reading that one too. It's, it's, oh, it's obviously. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know I've never heard of it. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> but seriously, uh, best of luck uh, with the new book. I really enjoyed it. It definitely is a departure from you know what I got to know you for with Spencer and Locke. But it, nevertheless, it's great. I'm looking forward to the next three issues. Yeah, well,
1: you know, anybody uh, listening to this podcast, they can still pre-order issues two and three of Going to the Chapel. Uh, our codes for issue two are AUG for August, uh, nineteen fourteen eighty two for Sweeney Boo's cover, uh, AUG nineteen fourteen eighty three for Mon House's uh, Andy Warhol style cover, and AUG nineteen fourteen eighty four for Gavin Guideri's uh, Tango Riffic cover, and then uh, issue three uh, you can pre-order it with the code uh, SEP for September, nineteen thirteen sixty seven for uh the Wilds artist Emily Pearson's cover you can run but you can't bribe um uh SCP 191368 for uh Monhouse's wedding cake cover and uh, uh SCP 191369 for Gavin Guidry's uh, uh uh Dawn of the Living Wedding Party uh cover so uh it's 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 a super fun series um like I said four issues so it's not a huge commitment uh, you can also follow Going to the Chapel on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoToTheChapel. It's just one word, all spelled out. They can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at PeposD, and they can sign up for my brand new newsletter, Pep Talks, at uh, bit.ly slash pepnews.
0: I got to tell you, every time that I see you on Twitter, in my head, I say proposed and not PeposedD. <laughs> 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 little nugget know, of that's... info there.
1: I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I. 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 am not just a noun. I'm also a past tense verb. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh, before before we even let you go, I got to also say thanks for uh, my birthday present because my brother sent me an issue of Spencer and Locke to uh, signed by you. I'm not sure where he picked oh. it up from. It never did ask him, but uh, uh, well, that uh, was my birthday present this
1: year. Oh well, uh, happy birthday, and uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we can do this. Tell tell your brother to find me at another show. And we'll give you. A, we'll give you a trade.
0: Sweet. Appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for coming on and, uh, go back through, rewind your podcast players, listen to the codes, the crazy ordering system of comic books and get the pre-orders in.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, David.